Well, I think the, I mean, I think the very simple way it changed me is that in public school, I felt like I was in a box my entire time. Even if I didn't um, necessarily notice it, like there were just these artificial boundaries in terms of what I was able to learn, what I was able to study. Um, and in homeschooling, I, I mean, I think I really noticed that I was in the box in public high school when I started homeschooling, because I was like, oh shoot, like I can now study whatever the heck I want. There isn't a box in homeschooling. There isn't a prescription. You're listening to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast with Carol Joy Side. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Sometimes we hear from parents who ask, is it too late to start homeschooling? To which I give a resounding, no, it is not too late. Today's episode is why. Carol interviews Vidal Arroyo, who was homeschooled for only one year, his senior year of high school. Yet even that one year had a tremendous impact on him. Homeschooling gave him the freedom to cultivate his own interests and follow passions that enabled him to become a Rhodes Scholar just a few years later. So if you're wondering, is it too late to homeschool? This episode is for you. Listen in. Well, this afternoon, I have the rare privilege of sitting with my friend Vidal Arroyo, who is coming uh, to us via Zoom from Oxford, England. And I am just so excited to be with Vidal. Welcome, Vidal. Welcome. Thank you so much, Carol, for having me on. Well, Vidal and his family and I um, have been working together for quite a, quite a while now, but Vidal has an interesting story and I just want him to share it with us. So Vidal, when did you start homeschooling and, and bring us kind of through the journey of your academic childhood and now into adulthood? Yeah, great question. So I think um, it's probably best for me, honestly, to start with um, it's actually from kindergarten because I think that will sort of put in context um, the whole academic journey. So um, I actually, you know, basically when I was, I don't remember the exact age it was, but uh, four or five, um, you know, I think a lot of kids start off with free school and that was sort of where my mom started me off in. Um, but for whatever reason, I think, I think honestly, because I was the first in my family and I was kind of the only child at that time, um, my mom put a lot of attention to me and really sped me up. So I was able to skip preschool and jump right into kindergarten. Um, and that was sort of the, you know, standard path, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, et cetera. Um, and school was an interesting experience for me because, uh, you know, my mom, because I was able to skip preschool, you know, she said that she, you know, thought I was bright. I think I was, obviously every parent thinks that their kid is bright, and my mom was no exception. Um, but I actually did struggle in school a bit because I was, I would get quite distracted. I was um, sort of, you know, kind of daydream during class. Like I kind of just, you know, start looking at the wall and wonder what's going on on the wall instead of the teacher um, and that sort of thing. And so a lot of, uh, you know, you know, I think in the second grade, I actually remember this in particular one, um, my second grade teacher actually wrote a note home um, to my mom, basically describing this issue. Um, so a lot of, you know, teachers didn't really take note of, um, I guess, any academic potential because I was not, uh, you know, putting myself in a situation to, to demonstrate I've been up with attention. Um, but that actually changed in the fourth grade when basically I was um, obviously in a fourth grade class. And for whatever reason, the teacher that um, I was taking a class with thought that maybe the reason I was daydreaming was because I was sort of not being challenged by the classes I was in. And so she actually um, signed me up to take what's called the GATE test, which stands for Gifted 
gifted and talented. And talented education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think what the E stands for. Maybe education. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, anyways, um, I was able to take the test. I actually, I think, missed the sort of the cutoff for what they would sort of pass someone into gate by, you know, two or three questions or something like that. But for whatever reason, my my teacher really thought that. Um, that I still should have been in the program. And so she basically convinced the school district that like I should go into it. And that honestly was a very life-changing experience for me because I think um, I was very fortunate to be in classes where, you know, you're sort of uh, told and taught, you know, that that you had academic potential, that you were smart and that sort of thing. And honestly, I think every kid has that in them, but, and, and I think that's why it's really, you know, tough with the school system that, um, you know, sometimes when we tell some kids they're smart, some kids they're not, like it's really a great injustice, but for whatever reason, I found myself on the lucky side of that coin. And so, um, you know, continued through middle school and high school, and um, this is a pretty similar trend. I still was not very interested in my courses, even though I was in these gate courses, I, I didn't really have an impetus for, you know, really working hard in school um, or anything like that. And um, you know, basically entering high school, uh, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. My grandpa's a musician, so I thought I wanted to do something in music, but I didn't think that college was required, so that wasn't on my radar at all. Um, and it was only actually through um, through wrestling that I started to change my mind about this. So basically, for some other context, um, in middle school, I was a uh, sort of not only lazy academically, I was sort of lazy in all areas of my life, including that of physical activity. So I was quite a chunker entering uh, high school. So uh, I basically was kind of figure out like, you know, okay, what, what can I do, um, you know, to lose some weight? And, you know, since we're on a podcast, no one can sort of tell this, but I'm uh, on the shorter side. So, you know, athletically, like basketball is not really the greatest sport. Football, you know, I won't be able to get as big. So, you know, kind of very limited. And, and wrestling was actually a great sport because wrestling is a weight class sport. And I was like, okay, well, um, I'm going to be, you know, competing against other small guys. I'll be all right. So yeah. uh, I joined the wrestling team my first year in wrestling. I actually, so I came in at 160 pounds around five, four. Um, and over the course of a year, I lost 37 pounds. So I, wow. actually, away, yeah, I really went full force with it. And wrestling for me actually sort of um, killed that lazy part of me. Like it went completely away because it actually taught me like, oh, if you want to be good at the sport, uh, you got to work hard. If you want to lose weight, you got to work hard. Um, and I started to carry that into school. And I actually started to actually allow myself to dream a little bit, you know, thinking more beyond just being a musician, sort of following the path that I thought I was going to do for my entire life. And um, through, so then I actually started becoming interested in some classes in my high school. And in particular, I became interested in chemistry in my sophomore year of high school. And then my junior year of high school, I actually took an anatomy class. It was kind of like a science elective I could take. And yeah. I was absolutely enamored by sort of the, the um, just the complexity and beauty of the human body. And um, I knew that I wanted to do something with my life that was kind of working, you know, with health or, you know, fitness or sports medicine, that sort of thing. So um, because I was an athlete and a student athlete, all my other friends, I sort of asked them like, Hey, you know what, what can I do to, uh, you know, to sort of go in that realm? And all my friends were going to physical therapy. So I thought, okay, I need to go into physical therapy. Yeah. So, um, that was sort of what I was gearing towards, you know, towards the end of high school. Um, and you know, with the wrestling, it was interesting because, uh, I, so I went to a, a, a public high school and, I really loved wrestling. Um, I knew that I didn't want to wrestle in college because I, I knew that I wasn't like super talented and, and wouldn't be able to get a huge scholarship for it, but I still just loved the sport and I wanted to take it as far as I could. And so actually my junior high school, I was, um, I started wrestling for a club team out in, uh, in Santa Ana, California. 
um, which is about uh, 30 minutes away from where I was living at the time, which was French Santa Margarita, California. Yeah. And um, basically this club team was associated with Calvary Chapel High School, which was one of the best wrestling programs in Southern California. Yeah. Um, and I got to know the coaches there and I just really vibe with the team and with the people. I just felt like, um, you know, also since I'm a Christian, like, you know, a lot of the guys were sort of similarly minded and versus yeah. being in a public high school. And so um, basically after my junior high school, I kind of just had a crazy idea. And I was like, hey, mom and dad, like I, uh, I don't think I want to go back to, to Soro, which is where my public high school is. I don't think I want to go back to Soro next year. I want to sort of wrestle for this other team and transfer schools, um, which is hard because, you know, I built this whole social um, kind of support system at uh, to Soro. Like I didn't really know anybody at, um, at Calvary Chapel and be hopping into a completely new program. And the other thing is that it's a private school. So finances were a huge issue. So um, basically what we decided to do was we just decided to, um, to homeschool instead. So Calvary Chapel, they had what was called a private school program where you could basically homeschool under the Calvary Chapel system. And it was much cheaper than the private school. It also allowed me to um, actually do my schooling from home since we were living 30 minutes away and only have to deal with commutes to and from practices. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of just history from there, you know, from there I was able to homeschool and, and et cetera, et cetera, which we probably talk about later, but that's what led to homeschooling was, yeah. was that whole path and, and wrestling. Interesting. So you started wrestling for Calvary and then what, how, how did you do school? What did that look like? Yeah. So, you know, again, we did school from, um, again, from home for me, it was basically, so I'm trying to remember what my high school schedule was, but we had practice from about, I think four to 6 PM. And actually since I was homeschooled, um, my coach, actually, we had a, we had another, there's another family that had kids that were homeschooled that were wrestling through Calvary um, on the club team and basically he had this idea of having sort of an extra homeschool practice uh, just to get us that much better you know we're kind of on like the accelerator track uh, for getting better at wrestling and so um, basically I uh, you know I was doing that so I was training about four hours a day wrestling um, Monday, Monday through Friday which was a big commitment and um, you know, I think if I remember correctly, I think my first practice was from like 10 to two. And then my second practice was from like, no, not, not 10 to two, 10 to 12 or, or nine to 11 or something like that. And yeah. then the second one was a, from about five to seven, if I remember correctly, or six to eight. Um, so basically what I was doing is in between that I was studying. So I was studying on the car ride to practice or to, you know, sort of Calvary, the car ride from practice. My mom would usually drive me in the morning. My dad would usually drive me in the, you know, at night after practice, just with yeah. their schedules. Um, and in between, you know, I would just bring all my study materials to Calvary and I would be studying, you know, in that window, get a little lunch, maybe take a little nap or something like that. Um, but as far as the curriculum goes, it was um, completely literature based. So, you know, for English, I was reading, uh, you know, John Steinbeck and Charles Dickens for history. I remember the exact history books, but it was not a textbook. It was like a sort of a more, um, uh, a more presentable version of like U.S. history and, yes. and sort of describing sort of the architecture of, of sort of the Constitution and that sort of thing. Um, and for the sciences, I, so for my science class, I actually took the anatomy um, a bit further. And I actually, that year decided to study and get certified as a personal trainer, which I did. So <laughs> I basically took the anatomy, sort of did like anatomy 2.0 and became a personal trainer. Um, and then um, with, uh, with math, because that was sort of something else I could do, I basically um, decided to do statistics. And um, you know, we didn't really have a statistics text, but we didn't really know what to do. So what I just decided to do is just go to the library and see what they had. And they did have this nice, like, 
kind of self-taught statistics textbook you could go through. So that's basically what I did. I picked this up and it was, I mean, it wasn't like a graduate level thing. It was like, a, you know, made for high school students. So I was able to sort of do that. Um, and those are basically my four courses. I may have done something else beyond that, but those are basically the, the sort of the meat and potatoes of what I was studying. That's amazing. So you were inventing your own education as a high school student, which how, how did that, you know, how is that type of methodology um, shaped your destiny and your future? You know, <laughs> how it shaped your destiny and your future. So, I mean, there's a lot of serendipity involved in this, but I will say that that ability to, you know, obviously within English, like, you know, if I was to have my English study time, I need to be reading books, but like be able to decide what books I wanted to read. That yes. was really cool. I mean, that freedom. And I think for me, like during my senior year of high school, I really fell in love with John Steinbeck's writing. I think also because I'm from California and just the way that he sort of portrayed the landscape, the totally. way he portrayed the culture. It was, um, it was very beautiful. And I, you know, really fell in love with his writing history. I had a little less freedom, but, you know, still like the books I really enjoyed and um, you know, beyond, I was able to sort of read beyond them as well. Um, I think where I felt like I had the most freedom was actually in the math thing. Because again, um, for some context, because I was on this accelerated course, I had taken the first half of calculus, my junior year of high school, I'm at, a, yeah. at the public high school. <laughs> um, and that was like the only course that I did like decent at. Um, you know, I think that the only course I got an A and the rest of them I was sort of getting Bs and um, yeah, around Bs. But um, yeah, you know, that was, I knew that I, I liked math and I just, um, I guess I just wanted something different. That was the only reason I chose statistics was just because I was like, I want something different. I did calculus. I don't know. I think also because I knew I was going to be transitioning from a public school to a homeschooling. I was afraid that if I tried to do calculus again, I would just be going over a lot of the same things yeah. because I didn't know the overlap. Yeah. So I decided, okay, let me do something completely different. So I know for sure I'm learning something new. Um, and that's where the statistics came in. And it's really funny because, um, you know, at the time, I didn't really think much of it. Like, okay, I'm just taking statistics school. We're going to college now. Um, and, and, and for context, I um, continued my studies at uh, Chapman University, which is a, a, a liberal arts school um, in Orange County. Um, but it's funny because uh, for context now, in Oxford, I'm actually doing a graduate degree in statistics. So oh. I think that, you know, what really that high school statistics course did is it birthed this sort of intuition about statistics, about sort of the nature of probability and sort of those like mathematical principles. Yeah, that's homeschooled its very best. It really is. And so Vidal, how, so now you, you want a Rhodes scholarship. I mean, you're more likely to be struck by a meteorite than win a Rhodes scholarship. It is. Oh, don't tell me that. I don't want to get hit by a meteorite. <laughs> <laughs> but it is such a huge, honor and a, and a compliment to your academic and your character as well. It's not just an academic selection. You're a lot of smart people, but the Unabomber was smart. So being a Rhodes Scholar really, um, what, what are the criteria for being selected as a Rhodes Scholar? Would you, how would you describe it? You know, um, so they have like a formal uh, you know, that criteria on their website. As a Rose Scholar, I should probably know these criteria, but I don't. I'm pretty sure I knew them when I was interviewed, but I think I've long forgotten. You know, I think, I think the main, um, you know, sort of the main mantra of the Rose Scholarship is, is fighting the world's fight, which um, for me, uh, I think it really means like, you know, using whatever talents, gifts, passions that you have, opportunities uh, to address uh, you know, suffering in the world. Um, you know, really, I think, I think 
that sort of humanitarian cause is at the core of the Rhodes Scholarship. Mm. And when selecting scholars, I think what they're really looking for are people who have the um, have the the talent, the passion, and, and the character, and ultimately the calling to address those things. Mm. And um, I think that's honestly the only commonality I can sort of pin on all of the people that I have the fortune of calling friends through the scholarship that I've been able to meet. Um, because I mean, <laughs> there's just so many, there's just such a diversity and delusion. I can imagine. You know? So how would you say that homeschool kind of launched you um, into thinking outside the box? You know, what, what impact did that year of homeschooling, like if you had just graduated from the public school versus instead what you did, sure. how did that change you? Well, I think the, I mean, I think the very simple way it changed me is that in public school, I felt like I was in a box my entire time. Even if I didn't um, necessarily notice it, like there were just these artificial boundaries in terms of what I was able to learn, what I was able to study. Um, and, and homeschooling, I, I mean, I think I really noticed that I was in the box in public high school when I started homeschooling because I was like, oh shoot, like I can now study whatever the heck I want. There isn't a box in homeschooling. Yeah. There isn't a prescription. I think honestly, um, you know, I think about this a lot because, you know, with public schools, there's sort of this assumption that every person needs the same path, needs the same yeah. education, needs the same, has the same needs. And, um, you know, given my experience in homeschooling and also just knowing sort of the, the diversity of people and personalities, I strongly disagree with that assumption. I think that, um, you know, we need to have an educational system that is just as flexible and diverse as, as we are. Wow. Vidal, you are just such a joy to talk to because you have owned your own education, which is everything that I teach. When your parents first came to me um, and you have two other brothers and a sister, so they have one still at, well, two kids still at home, right? Your brother has just won a full ride at Stanford. And um, when they first came to me, this was all new to them. And thinking outside the box, when your children have been in school and, and you've been told what your children need to learn and what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And the idea of, you can do anything. The world is your oyster. You've mm -hmm. really, you know, you, you have lived that out. What I, what I dream for my families is that we don't have school at home, but that we have homeschool which means we can do anything, you know, we can pursue our own interests mm -hmm. under parental guidance. And that's, your parents gave you that freedom. Neither of your parents were born in the United States. They love to share that fact and why they're so pr proud of you children. But, you know, your parents have kind of lived that same dream of thinking outside the box, reinventing the wheel themselves. So they gave you the permission and the go ahead and they cheered for you mm -hmm. and they didn't micromanage you. They really kind of wound you up and let you fly. Yeah, yeah, and I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, to sort of follow that thread, I really think that every child, every child sort of knows the direction that um, in some sense, at a deep, deep, really sense yes. that they're meant to go. And ultimately it's not the child, it's, it's God, right? I mean, for me, again, being a Christian, it's God that that has that that purpose for every single person's life um, and so I think it's you know our job as educators as parents as teachers to um to make sure that we give our children the freedom oh you've been such a blessing Vidal would you be willing to pray for the for our listeners as they're trying to help their children find their soul passion 
Absolutely, right. absolutely. Holy Father, God, we just um, come before you today, God. I thank you, God, um, for allowing us and Carol to uh, have this conversation, Lord, even though we're thousands of miles away, God, um, Lord, with the sort of technology today, God, we can still have these conversations and, um, you know, be able to just think through these things, God. And um, first and foremost, God, we just want to give praise to you, God, for, um, Lord, helping us to, uh, Lord, just find a path, God, that, that allows us to have that freedom, um, Lord, to sort of... Um, bathe God in the glory of your creation um, and what you have before us, Father. And I do, God, just want to particularly lift up um, Lord, the families, God, right now, um, who may be listening to this, God, um, that you just give them discernment, you give them wisdom, that you would um, just provide them, God, with the community and with the resources that they would need to do um, to, to sort of follow this path. And, and Father, I just pray, God, that, uh, Lord, we would realize that, um, Lord, while freedom initially uh, can seem scary god the independence that comes from freedom um lord is huge god and, and that is worth god uh taking that risk and moving forward god that independence god to 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 carve the path god that um that you would have each of us to carve so that we can make an impact for your kingdom and so we thank you father we love you and we praise you with this all to your name you've been listening to the homeschool made simple podcast with carol joy side If you want to learn more about our research-based method for homeschooling, the first step is to listen to our basic seminar, a literature-based approach to education. We offer in-person and virtual seminars, but you can also find the recording in our online store. Check out the show notes for links. Thanks for joining us this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. I'm Rachel Winchester. Be sure to join us next week as we help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings. Blessings.